Chapter Nine, Part Two of the Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Nine, Part Two. She was the youngest daughter of the prince, a Milanese nobleman who was esteemed one of the richest men of the city but the unbounded idea he entertained of his title made his property appear scarcely sufficient, nay, even too limited to maintain a proper appearance, and all his attention was turned towards keeping it, at least, such as it was, in one line, so far as it depended upon himself. How many children he had does not appear from history. It merely records that he had designed all the younger branches of both sexes for the cloisters that he might leave his property entire to the eldest son, destined to perpetuate the family. That is, bring up children that he might torment himself in tormenting them after his father's example. Our unhappy signora was yet unborn when her condition was irrevocably determined upon. It only remained to decide whether she should be a monk or a nun, a decision for which not her assent, but her presence, was required. When she was born, the prince, her father, wishing to give her a name that would always immediately suggest the idea of a cloister, and which had been borne by a saint of high family, called her Gertrude. Dolls dressed like nuns were the first playthings put into her hands then images in nuns' habits, accompanying the gift with admonitions to prize them highly as very precious things, and with that affirmative interrogation, beautiful, eh? When the prince or the princess or the young prince, the only one of the sons brought up at home, would represent the happy prospects of the child, it seemed as if they could find no other way of expressing their ideas than by the words, What a lady abess! No one, however, directly said to her, You must become a nun. It was an intention understood and touched upon incidentally in every conversation relating to her future destiny. If at any time the little Gertrude indulged in rebellious or imperious behavior, to which her natural disposition easily inclined her, you are a naughty little girl, they would say to her. This behavior is very unbecoming. When you are a lady abbess, you shall then command with the rod. You can then do as you please. On another occasion, the prince reproving her for her too free and familiar manners, into which she easily fell. Hey, hey, he cried, they are not becoming to one of your rank. If you wish some day to engage the respect that is due to you, learn from henceforth to be more reserved. Remember, you ought to be in everything the first in the monastery, because you carry your rank wherever you go. Such language imbued the mind of the little girl with the implicit idea that she was to be a nun but her father's words had more effect upon her than all the others put together. The manners of the prince were habitually those of an austere master, but when treating of the future prospects of his children, there shone forth in every word and tone an immovability of resolution which inspired the idea of a fatal necessity. 
at six years of age gertrude was placed for education and still more as a preparatory step towards the vocation imposed upon her in the monastery where we have seen her and the selection of the place was not without design the worthy guide of the two women has said that the father of the signora was the first man in monza and comparing his testimony whatever it may be worth with some other indications which our anonymous author unintentionally suffers to escape here and there we may very easily assert that he was the feudal head of that country however it may be he enjoyed here very great authority and thought that here better than elsewhere his daughter would be treated with that distinction and deference which might induce her to choose this monastery as her perpetual abode nor was he deceived the then abbess and several intriguing nuns who had the management of affairs finding themselves entangled in some disputes with other monastery and with a noble family of the country were very glad of the acquisition of such a support received with much gratitude the honour bestowed upon them and fully entered into the intentions of the prince concerning the permanent settlement of his daughter intentions on every account entirely consonant with their interests immediately on gertrude's entering the monastery she was called by antonomasia the signorina a separate place was assigned her at table and a private sleeping apartment her conduct was proposed as an example to others indulgences and caresses were bestowed upon her without end accompanied with that respectful familiarity so attractive to children when observed in those whom they see treating other children with an habitual air of superiority not that all the nuns had conspired to draw the poor child into the snare many there were of simple and undesigning minds who would have shrunk with horror from the thought of sacrificing a child to interested views but all of them being intent on their several individual occupations some did not notice all these manoeuvres others did not discern how dishonest they were some abstained from looking into the matter and others were silent rather than give useless offence there was one too who remembering how she had been induced by similar arts to do what she afterwards repented of felt a deep compassion for the poor little innocent and showed that compassion by bestowing on her tender and melancholy caresses which she was far from suspecting were tending towards the same result and thus the affair proceeded perhaps it might have gone on thus to the end if gertrude had been the only little girl in the monastery but among her schoolfellows there were some who knew they were designed for marriage the little gertrude brought up with high ideas of her superiority talked very magnificently of her future destiny as abbess and principal of the monastery she wished to be an object of envy to the others on every account and saw with astonishment and vexation that some of them paid no attention to all her boasting to the majestic but circumscribed and cold images the headship of a monastery could furnish they opposed the varied and bright pictures of a husband guests routs towns tournaments retinues dress and equipages such glittering visions roused in gertrude's mind that excitement and ardour which a large basketful of freshly gathered flowers would produce if placed before a beehive her parents and teachers had cultivated and increased her natural vanity to reconcile her to the cloisters 
but when this passion was excited by ideas so much calculated to stimulate it she quickly entered into them with a more lively and spontaneous ardour that she might not be below her companions and influenced at the same time by her new turn of mind she replied that at the time of the decision no one could compel her to take the veil without her consent that she too could marry live in palace enjoy the world and that better than any of them that she could if she wished it that she would if she wished it and that in fact she did wish it the idea of the necessity of her consent which hitherto had been as it were unnoticed and hidden in a corner of her mind now unfolded and displayed itself in all its importance on every occasion she called it to her aid that she might enjoy in tranquillity the images of a self-chosen future together with this idea however there invariably appeared another that the refusal of this consent involved rebellion against her father who already believed it or pretended to believe it a decided thing and at this remembrance the child's mind was very far from feeling the confidence which her words proclaimed she would then compare herself with her companions whose confidence was of a far different kind and experienced lamentably that envy of their condition which at first she endeavoured to awaken in them from envy she changed to hatred which she displayed in contempt rudeness and sarcastic speeches while sometimes the conformity of her inclinations and hopes with theirs suppressed her spite and created in her an apparent and transient friendship at times longing to enjoy something real and present she would feel a complacency in the distinctions accorded to her and make others sensible of this superiority and then again unable to tolerate the solitude of her fears and desires she would go in search of her companions her haughtiness appeased almost indeed imploring of them kindness counsel and encouragement in the midst of such pitiable warfare with herself and others she passed her childhood and entered upon that critical age at which an almost mysterious power seems to take possession of the soul arousing refreshing invigorating all the inclinations and ideas and sometimes transforming them or turning them into some unlooked-for channel that which until now gertrude had most distinctly figured in these dreams of the future was external splendour and pomp a something soothing and kindly which from the first was lightly and as it were mistily diffused over her mind now began to spread itself and predominate in her imagination i took possession of the most secret recesses of her heart as of a gorgeous retreat hither she retired from present objects here she entertained various personages strangely compounded of the confused remembrances of childhood the little she had seen of the external world and what she had gathered in conversations with her companions she entertained herself with them talked to them and replied in their name here she gave commands and here she received homage of every kind at times the thoughts of religion would come to disturb these brilliant and toilsome revels but religion such as it had been taught to this poor girl and such as she had received it did not prohibit pride but rather sanctified it and proposed it as a means of obtaining earthly felicity 
robbed thus of its essence it was no longer religion but a phantom like the rest in the intervals in which this phantom occupied the first place and ruled in gertrude's fancy the unhappy girl oppressed by confused terrors and urged by an indefinite idea of duty imagined that her repugnance to the cloister and her resistance to the wishes of her superiors in the choice of her state of life was a fault and she resolved in her heart to expiate it by voluntarily taking the veil it was a rule that before a young person could be received as a nun she should be examined by an ecclesiastic called the vicar of the nuns or by some one deputed by him that it might be seen whether the lot were her deliberate choice or not and this examination could not take place for a year after she had by a written request signified her desire to the vicar those nuns who had taken upon themselves the sad office of inducing gertrude to bind herself for ever with the least possible consciousness of what she was doing seized one of the moments we have described to persuade her to write and sign a memorial and in order to more easily to persuade her to such a course they failed not to affirm and impress upon her what indeed was quite true that after all it was a mere formality which could have no effect without other and posterior steps depending entirely upon her own will nevertheless the memorial had scarcely reached its destination before gertrude repented having written it then she repented of these repentances and thus days and months were spent in an incessant alteration of wishes and regrets for a long while she concealed this act from her companions sometimes from fear of exposing her good resolution to opposition and contradiction at others from shame and revealing her error but at last the desire of unburdening her mind and of seeking advice and encouragement conquered another rule was this that a young girl was not to be admitted to this examination upon the course of life she had chosen until she had resided for at least a month out of the convent where she had been educated a year had almost passed since the presentation of this memorial and it had been signified to gertrude that she would shortly be taken from the monastery and sent to her father's house for this one month there to take all the necessary steps towards the completion of the work she had really begun the prince and the rest of the family considered it an assured thing as if it had already taken place not so however his daughter instead of taking fresh steps she was engaged in considering how she could withdraw the first in her perplexity she resolved to open her mind to one of her companions the most sincere and always the readiest to give spirited advice she advised gertrude to inform her father by letter that she had changed her mind since she had not the courage to pronounce to his face at the proper time a bold i will not and as gratuitous advice in this world is very rare the counsellor made gertrude pay for this by abundance of raillery upon her want of spirit the letter was agreed upon with three or four confidants written in private and dispatched by means of many deeply studied artifices gertrude waited with great anxiety for a reply but none came excepting that a few days afterwards the abbess taking her aside with an air of mystery displeasure and compassion 
let fall some obscure hints about the great anger of her father and a wrong step she must have been taking leaving her to understand however that if she behaved well she might still hope that all would be forgotten the poor girl understood it and dared not venture to ask any further explanation at last the day so much dreaded and so ardently wished for arrived although gertrude knew well enough that she was going to a great struggle yet to leave the monastery to pass the bounds of those walls in which she had been for eight years immured to traverse the open country in a carriage to see once more the city and her home filled her with sensations of tumultuous joy as to the struggle with the direction of her confidants she had already taken her measures and concerted her plans either they will force me thought she and then i will be immovable i will be humble and respectful but will refuse the chief point is not to pronounce another yes and i will not pronounce it or they will catch me with good words and i will be better than they i will weep i will implore i will move them to pity at last will only entreat that i may not be sacrificed but as it often happens in similar cases of foresight neither one nor the other supposition was realized days passed and neither her father nor any one else spoke to her about the petition or the recantation and no proposal was made to her with either coaxing or threatening her parents were serious sad and morose towards her without ever giving a reason for such behaviour it was only to be understood that they regarded her as faulty and unworthy a mysterious anathema seemed to hang over them and divided her from the rest of her family merely suffering so much intercourse as was necessary to make her feel her subjection seldom and only at certain fixed hours was she admitted to the company of her parents and elder brother in the conversations of these three there appeared to reign a great confidence which rendered the exclusion of gertrude doubly sensible and painful no one addressed her and if she ventured timidly to make a remark unless very evidently called for her words were either unnoticed or were responded to by a careless contemptuous or severe look if unable any longer to endure so bitter and humiliating a distinction she sought and endeavoured to mingle with the family and implored a little affection she soon heard some indirect but clear hint thrown out about her choice of a monastic life and was given to understand that there was one way of regaining the affection of the family and since she would not accept of it on these conditions she was obliged to draw back to refuse the first advances towards the kindness she so much desired and to continue in her state of excommunication continue in it too with a certain appearance of being to blame such impressions from surrounding objects painfully contradicted the bright visions with which gertrude had been so much occupied and which she still secretly indulged in her heart she had hoped that in her splendid and much frequented home she would have enjoyed at least some real taste of the pleasures she had so long imagined but she found herself woefully deceived the confinement was as strict and close at home as in the convent to walk out for recreation was never even spoken of and a gallery that led from the house to an adjoining church obviated the sole necessity there might have been to go into the street the company was more uninteresting more scarce 
and less varied than in the monastery at every announcement of a visitor gertrude was obliged to go upstairs and remain with some old woman in the service of the family and here she dined whenever there was company the domestic servants concurred in behaviour and language with the example and intentions of their master and gertrude who by inclination would have treated them with ladylike unaffected familiarity and who in the rank in which she was placed would have esteemed it a favour if they had shown her any little mark of kindness as an equal and even have stooped to ask it was now humbled and annoyed at being treated with a manifest indifference although accompanied by a slight obsequiousness of formality she could not however but observe that one of these servants a page appeared to bear her a respect very different to the others and to feel a peculiar kind of compassion for her the behaviour of this youth approached more nearly than anything she had yet seen to the state of things that gertrude had pictured to her imagination and more resembled the doings of her ideal characters by degrees a strange transformation was discernible in the manners of the young girl there appeared a new tranquillity and at the same time a restlessness differing from her usual disquietude her conduct was that of one who had found a treasure which oppresses him which he incessantly watches and hides from the view of others gertrude kept her eyes on this page more closely than ever and however it came to pass she was surprised one unlucky morning by a chambermaid while secretly folding up a letter in which it would have been better had she written nothing after a brief altercation the maid got possession of the letter and carried it to her master the terror of gertrude at the sound of his footsteps may be more easily imagined than described it was her father he was irritated and she felt herself guilty but when he stood before her with that frowning brow and the ill-fated letter in his hand she would gladly have been a hundred feet underground not to say in a cloister his words were few but terrible the punishment named at the time was only to be confined in her own room under the charge of the maid who had made the discovery but this was merely a foretaste a temporary provision he threatened and left a vague promise of some other obscure undefined and therefore more dreadful punishment the page was of course immediately dismissed and was menaced with something terrible if ever he should breathe a syllable about the past in giving him this intimation the prince seconded it with two solemn blows to associate in his mind with this adventure a remembrance that would effectually remove every temptation to make a boast of it some kind of pretext to account for the dismissal of a page was not difficult to find as to the young lady it was reported that she was ill she was now left to her fears her shame her remorse and her dread of the future with the sole company of this woman whom she hated as the witness of her guilt and the cause of her disgrace she in turn hated gertrude by whom she was reduced she knew not for how long to the wearisome life of a jailer and had become for ever the guardian of a dangerous secret the first confused tumult of these feelings subsided by degrees but each remembrance recurrent by turns to her mind was nourished there and remained to torment her more distinctly and at leisure 
whatever could the punishment be so mysteriously threatened many various and strange were the ideas that suggested themselves to the ardent and inexperienced imagination of gertrude the prospect that appeared most probable was that she would be taken back to the monastery at monza no longer to appear as the signorina but as a guilty person to be shut up there who knew how long who knew with what kind of treatment among the many annoyances of such a course perhaps the most annoying was the dread of the shame she would feel the expressions the words the very commas of the unfortunate letter were turned over and over in her memory she fancied them noticed and weighed by a reader so unexpected so different from the one to whom they were destined in reply she imagined that they might have come under the view of her mother her brother or indeed any one else and by comparison all the rest seemed to her a mere nothing the image of him who had been the primary cause of all this offence failed not also frequently to beset the poor recluse and it is impossible to describe the strange contrast this phantasm presented to those around her so dissimilar so serious reserved and threatening but since she could not separate his image from theirs nor turn for a moment to those transient gratifications without her present sorrows as the consequence of them suggesting themselves to her mind she began by degrees to recall them less frequently to repel the remembrance of them and wean herself from such thoughts she no longer willingly indulged in the bright and splendid fancies of her earlier days they were too much opposed to her real circumstances and to every probability for the future the only castle in which gertrude would conceive a tranquil and honourable retreat which was not in the air was the monastery if she could make up her mind to enter it for ever such a resolution she could not doubt would have repaired everything atoned for every fault and changed her condition in a moment opposed to this proposal it is true rose up the plans and hopes of her whole childhood but times were changed and in the depths to which gertrude had fallen and in comparison of what at times she so much dreaded the condition of a nun respected revered and obeyed appeared to her a bright prospect two sentiments of very different character indeed contributed at intervals to overcome her former aversion sometimes remorse for a fault and a capricious sensibility of devotion and at other times her pride embittered and irritated by the manners of her jailer who often it must be confessed provoked to it revenged herself now by terrifying her with the prospect of the threatened punishment or taunting her with the disgrace of her fault when however she chose to be benign she would assume a tone of protection still more odious than insult on these different occasions the wish that gertrude felt to escape from her clutches and to raise herself to a condition above either her anger or pity became so vivid and urgent that it made everything which could lead to such an end appear pleasant and agreeable at the end of four or five long days of confinement gertrude disgusted and exasperated beyond measure by one of these sallies of her guardian went and sat down in a corner of the room and covering her face with her hands remained for some time secretly indulging her rage 
she then felt an overbearing longing to see some other faces to hear some other words to be treated differently she thought of her father of her family and the idea made her shrink back in horror but she remembered that it only depended upon her to make them her friends and this remembrance awakened a momentary joy then there followed a confused and unusual sorrow for her fault and an equal desire to expiate it now that her will was already determined upon such a resolution she had never before approached it so near she rose from her seat went to the table took up the fatal pen and wrote a letter to her father full of enthusiasm and humiliation of affliction and hope imploring his pardon and showing herself indefinitely ready to do anything that would please him who alone could grant it End of chapter nine part two